We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. And we begin reading in verse 11. Paul says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Now the first thing we see here is Paul urging the Corinthians to open up. Just open up. You know, later we're going to see he warns them about hooking up with the wrong people. And then as we close today, we're going to see how he's calling them out and saying it's time to grow up. It's time to man up. It's time to be a completely committed Christian. A real, real neat section of scripture. You know, only a few times uh, does Paul address the church the way that he does here. You know, Paul wrote 13 letters, maybe 14. Um, one time he said, oh, Philippians, but it was a nice context. One time he said, oh, Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 1. That was a heavy time. Right here he does it only the third time. In all his writings, there in verse 11, he's like, oh, Corinthians. You could almost see him shaking his head. Could you see him doing that? Oh, Corinthians. It's kind of interesting when you look at the text and the context, man. I mean, what he says to them is uh, literally, our mouth is wide open. And in other words, our mouth is open to you, Corinthians. We are hiding nothing. We're keeping nothing back. Um, one translation says, our heart is expanded wide for you. Uh, one man put it this way. We translate verse 11, I have let my mouth run away with me in order to make the connection with the previous verses. And the idea is that of being completely truthful with someone and not holding anything back. And that's what he's been doing in this letter. He's just been like sharing from his heart the anatomy of an apostle. He's not holding anything back. Paul was, in one sense, wearing his heart on his sleeve, making himself vulnerable and, and, and asking him them right here to do the same thing. Because here's the thing, man. We need to be real. We're not playing church. This isn't just a routine. This isn't just something we do on Sunday morning so then we can go and live our life. This is about the power of God working in me and working through me. And the only way that that's going to really happen is if we're real if there's a, a genuineness, if there's like the walls are falling down, if I'm not holding back, and if you're not holding back, and that's the way he's dealing with the Corinthians, you know? I mean, as a true shepherd, Paul's asking for true affection because this is not just a professional relationship. This is personal. This is spiritual. This is even emotional not that we're led by our emotions, but we are emotional creatures. We've been created in the image of God as an emotional God, and, and we don't function without them. We should be personal and honest and affectionate. We need to 
really, and we're going to see as we go through here, we need to let this holiness that we long for be found in harmony with each other when the walls fall down and we start really dealing and communicating from the heart. You know, I need to hear some of the things you need to tell me. And I need to tell you what God tells me to tell you. And we need to let the Lord do that work. You know, we're not withholding our affection from you, Paul says, there in verse 12. But you're withholding yours from us. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this. For those of you who have kids, maybe, you know, your kids are perfect. But I'm a very affectionate guy, you know, with my kids especially. I just want to hold them like the whole time. But they won't let me. You know, my daughter's 21, my son's 19, they're a little older now, but for whatever reason, man, I, you know, still, I remember holding my son when he was five years old. I, I still really, I have these visuals, just holding him, like right here, and his head was just buried in my neck, and his arms would squeeze me, and he would tell people, I love my daddy. And he still does. But he won't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't get it, you know? And it's kind of like that sometimes in you know, this pastoral leadership, Christian relationships, where you're just all in, where you're serious, where you're emotional, where you're spiritual, where you're caught up. And it's like for, for whatever reason, sometimes we're going to see why, but the people aren't there. They're not reacting the same way towards you. One version, the Amplified says, there's no lack of room for you in our hearts, but you lack room in your own affections toward us. This is where Paul was. Paul was a passionate man. Some people are uncomfortable with that. And you got to break down those walls and bring them to that place where they get real. And he uses the word restricted right here. In the Greek, it speaks of being in a narrow place, compressed, cramped, and that's kind of how they were acting. You know, it can be tough when affection is not reciprocated. And, and, and right here, what Paul is doing, it's interesting. You know, previously, remember we went through the list of all these things he's sharing regarding him being a real minister and, you know, his resume of suffering and the things that he did by the Spirit and by the power of God and just kind of like building up to this point. And now he's going to hit him with a punch. He's about to hit him with a, with a punch that's really good. But before he gets there, he's trying to bring them to that place where they would receive it because it's so important. You know, because he loves them so much. Having demonstrated the blameless and sacrificial character of his record as a minister of the gospel, he now makes a personal plea for the church's affection. And, and they were holding back. Why were they holding back? Well, remember we've been going through this letter right here because they had divided hearts. Their hearts were divided towards their teacher, their leader, their founding pastor. Because the false teachers had stolen their hearts away. And now they were cool towards Paul. And yet, you know, when you look at this guy, not perfect, but man, he was, he was cool. I mean, he was the, 
you know, this guy that had planted and pastored and prayed and prayed and prayed and preached and preached and preached his heart out. And now the people, a lot of the people, unfortunately, weren't receiving the ministry. You know, he says in verse 13, now in return for the same. In the Greek language, it speaks of a fair exchange. You know, it'd be kind of like you tell somebody, I love you. I love you. And they don't say anything. Oh, nice. Have a good day, you know. It's like, no, you're supposed to say you love me too. <laughs> That's kind of like he's saying, this is fair. The Amplified says, by way of return, the Greek word right here, it's found only in Christian writings. It stresses the reciprocal nature of a transaction, you know. I mean, here Paul calls them, you know, Corinthians. And you can kind of see the passion there. You can hear it. He also calls them his children there in verse 13. Through his preaching of the gospel, they had become family. They had grown up. And like any father, Paul desires a place in their heart. You know, Paul had planted the church. And, you know, it's different, you know, than, I mean, when he went to Corinth, they, they were not Christians. I mean, this is like the beginning of the church. And so... This is definitely a unique situation, man. I mean, he was their founding pastor, the one that they heard the gospel from originally, uh, the one that, that, that the Lord used to, to bring them to Christ. Uh, he writes about that back in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 15. I do not write these things, he says, to, to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the, the gospel. And so this is the, the situation that Paul finds himself in. Even though God had used him to save them, God had used him to pastor them, to preach to them, to teach them, to root them, ground them, love them, show them who he was. They had a heart that kind of went cold towards him. You know, and, and for us, you know, we don't call a man father. The Bible specifically says that. We only have one father, that's God. But I will tell you this, if you're here and you're a pastor and you're a leader, and you're here and you're a Christian and you care, in one sense, you have that type of affection towards the people that have been entrusted into your care. And we all have people around us. They might, in one sense, call you, you know, that spiritual father or that spiritual mother, but you love the people as if they were your own. That's where Paul was. And he's trying to, to bring them to this place. And, and here's why, okay? We're going to see. It's because he wants God to be glorified and he wants the people to be blessed. You know, and I look out in the congregation and, you know, I don't know what the plans that God has for you, but I do know they're great plans. I do know that when God knit you together in your mother's womb, He already had a destiny for you. I do know this, that we're living in a time such as this. We're living like in the days of Esther. And there's, it's a critical time, and that's why it's critically important for us to be everything that God wants us to be. And I know that God wants to open the windows of heaven and rain down on you and lavish you with the blessings that come from His hand. 
But a lot of times what happens is that we're not right with the Lord. We're not able to receive those blessings. We're not, not in that place. And what, what Paul is doing here is he's just wanting to bring the people to that place where they can see how good God is, how awesome God is, and all the amazing, out-of-this-world things that he wants to do. It's not a personal thing. It's not like, well, I want you to like me. It's not that. It's that I want God to bless you. I want God to you. That's why he's sharing this. And, and you know, in, in this life, we have three enemies. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, it's real simple. The world, 1 John five nineteen. it's under the sway of the wicked one, the society, not the people. We don't, the people aren't our enemy. It's the system. That's our enemy. And then the flesh, that's me. And then the devil, that's me. That we see that he comes against us. He uses our flesh. He uses the lies of the world. And what ends up happening is we miss out. And so Paul, knowing all this, he's saying, hey, I just want you guys to know, I'm trying to say it in a real nice way, God has called me to be an apostle, pastor. And I, I love you. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. And this is what he says in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And we're going to develop this whole thing because it's more than what you might think initially. It's huge. This is huge. First the command and then five questions. The command is pretty simple. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, Paul here, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he forbids believers to be yoked to non-believers, to, to be partners with those who do not believe, to team up with those who are against Christ, to link up with non-believers. Amplified says, do not make mismated alliances with them or come under a different yoke with them, inconsistent with your faith. You know, maybe you've seen the picture. You got the two animals. You got the ox, and they're linked together uh, with uh, the wooden yoke, and it just kind of locks them together, right? And they're supposed to do a work together. They, you know, they go, they travel, they walk together. And God says, "Well, don't do that unequally." It actually stems from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter twenty-two, verse ten, where the Bible says, "Thou shalt not plow with an ox and a donkey together." The ox was a clean animal to the Jews, but the donkey wasn't, according to Deuteronomy 14. And it would be wrong to yoke them together. Furthermore, they have two opposite natures, and it wouldn't even work. It would actually be cruel to bind them together. 
And what Paul is saying here is in the same way, it's wrong for believers to be yoked together with unbelievers. And we've got to know this principle. It's very, very important. It applies to best friends. It applies to business partners. Um, Paul may even have been hinting that the people that were influencing them theologically were non-believers. You know, we see a lot of things today, and, and I'll just share this with you real quick as a side note. If you ever send your kids to seminary, you got to check it out. You know, in the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference we had recently, they were talking about how, you know, most of those seminaries out there, they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And so in the school, it's called Christian, and they say we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, but they don't. They, they, they redefine it. And so don't, don't send your, your kids to school there. As a matter of fact, another side note here, you've got to be careful where you send your kids to school. You know, if you send your kids to public school, you better get them ready, man, because Caesar has your kids. You know, I, uh, I know some kids that went through the public school system and they love Jesus. So don't misunderstand me. But you got to really, really be careful. And you have to really equip them for all the garbage, all the trash, all the anti-Christ agenda that they will be indoctrinated with. You know, you have options, maybe a private school. Um, some people, I understand, you, you can't afford it. God knows. But maybe, maybe even homeschool. You know, that's what we were able to do by God's grace with our children, even when it wasn't all that popular. We took our kids and we raised them. My wife did most of it. I was a principal. <laughs> but, um, you know, she, uh, she, she homeschooled them. And I'm just saying, maybe there'll be one person out there who will say, you know what, that might be a good thing for me because um, I know what it is to be yoked, to be in this working relationship. He's talking about best friends. Who's your best friend? Your best friend should be a believer. Somebody that loves you enough to tell you the truth. You know, somebody that you know loves you and they'll give you scriptures. You know? And then who are you interested in? Like you're here today and you're a single person and you're like, hey, she's pretty fine. Okay, well, is she a Christian? I mean, just straight out. Don't even look. Don't think. Run. If they're not Christians. You know, it's so important for us. You know, to have this principle. Just, man, just embedded deep within our hearts. You know, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I mean, if you keep it up, unequally yoked with an unbeliever, a non-believer, if you keep hanging with them, then one day you might be spiritually hung with them. As that great poet Lecrae said, I like him, life is like a paradise, so watch the ones you're rolling with. Who are you rolling with? Are they Christians? Business partners, best friends, uh, and the one I think that we see so frequently it hurts so much is when a Christian dates a non-Christian. How can that be? And oftentimes it leads to marriage relationships. 
You know, let me quickly say that if you're here today and you're married to an unbeliever, uh, this is not like for you necessarily. We're like trying to give you a hard time. My heart goes out to you, and you love Jesus, and you keep being that witness, and you can still have the joy of the Lord, and God can raise, God can save your your husband or your your wife. I believe that with all my heart. And I want to encourage you, put their name in the prayer list and let's lift them up to the Lord. I mean, if Jesse can get saved, anybody can get saved, right? <laughs> Maria was a, a Christian and Jesse wasn't for a long time. And he used to like mock and get mad when she went to church. And praise God, now he's been in the children's ministry for how long? God can do it. So, you know, this is not to in any way discourage you But this is for those who are single, right? I mean, the people of God are not to make covenants like this in marriage or in ministry with full-on, straight-out non-believers. We've got to be careful in friendships and all relationships, knowing that even a certain type of just mingling can be damaging. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 35. It says, they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. To me... You know, we're going to see later that you got to have friendships. you got to be with people who are lost. But, you know, mingling, and, and this can happen in so many ways. I even think, and forgive me, I don't want to sound weird or legalistic, but I even think that that, that television right there, it, it can be a way where you're mingling and you're just watching TV all day. I mean, it's okay, watch a little bit, and maybe you see what's going on, but some people, they, they, they do it all the time. And that's really an influence on them. I'm just saying, you know, be be careful. Like I said, I don't want to go to the other extreme either. You know, some sincere Christians have turned separation into isolation until their fellowship becomes so scarce, Warren Wiersbe said, that they can't even get along with themselves. You know, we're not talking about that. I'm not talking about being a monk. I'm not talking about you don't have any non-Christian friends. Uh, I'm not talking about going and starting some community where it's just Christians. No. You know, but we have that, that wisdom that God gives us to know when it's a best friend or when it's a business partnership or when it's someone that you're interested in romantically. I mean, no missionary dating, you guys. You're like, hey, you know what? He's tall, dark, and handsome. And he's rich. And he has a 67 Mustang Fastback. I've always liked those cars. You know? And, and, and he said he would come to church with me. And so he comes to church three times, and he goes up for the altar call, and you're like, yeah, he's a Christian. I can give him my heart now. No, you can't. Because, you know, I mean, you got to first... Find out whether or not it's real. I can tell you stories. I've been a pastor for, I won't tell you how long, because then you'll know how old I am, but for a long time, man, 20-some years. And, and I'll tell you what, I have seen girls, you know, that want to get married so bad. For some reason, they're just not content. Now, don't get me wrong. If you don't have to get to singleness, then you're always going to have that desire inside of you. But there still is contentment in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 7 says, as a single person, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Get busy serving the Lord. You'll be okay if you do that. Because you're free. You're free to do that. Do that. 
But you know, I've seen girls, one time, guys, they want to get married so bad. And so what ends up happening is they, they meet a guy, he says he's a Christian. You don't really know, but they get married. Next thing you know, they find out afterwards he's not. You got to make sure that he's really a Christian. I knew this one guy, really cool young guy, innocent young guy, kind of reminded me a lot of my son. And uh, a gal came in, you know, she was an older woman, and she offered him sex. So he just, you know, he took the bait, man. And he fell away. Never to return. I mean, that's why this principle is so important. He gives us the command, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he follows it with some logic, man. He gives us five questions to think about. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Think about that. What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is another name for wickedness. It's another Hebrew idiom for devil, the devil. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The first things he mentions right there is, is uh, he uses the word fellowship, but the Greek word is a, a different word. It, it's metoke, and it speaks of being partakers. It speaks of being partners. Righteousness and lawlessness don't partner, right? I mean, if your best friends are in business or bonded in marriage to a non-believer, then your biblical convictions will eventually you know, come into conflict. There's no partnership between righteousness and unrighteousness. The second English word he uses is communion, but the Greek word is koinonia. That's the one that we usually translate fellowship. And this right here, uh, we know is so important to Christians. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 said that was, that was one of the four things the church continued in. They were a praying church. They were a church that taught the word. They partook of communion and they fellowshiped together. And fellowship together is when you talk about spiritual things. And God uses you and you speak into the life of your friend. Or you speak into the life of your spouse. And you build them up with words of edification. You know, if you're in a relationship and you don't have this fellowship, then you're missing out. You know, I will share with you that part of the reason Paul shares this is not just to tell him, you know, don't do this because it's bad, but he's saying if you do things that are right, it's going to be so good. Fellowship is huge. It really is. I mean, when your best friends or you're bonded in business or marriage to a believer, then you have fellowship. I mean, I can, you can talk to anybody about the Dodgers. Hey, Dodgers doing good, huh? Yeah, having a good day. That's not fellowship. I mean, it's okay for us to talk because, you know, they're better than the angels. That's okay. <laughs> or we can talk about the Clippers. Hey, wasn't that pretty cool? What happened with the, what's his name? DeAndre Jordan. Unless you're a Dallas Maverick fan. I mean, you know, we could talk about things. Hey, sweetheart, we need to put some new uh, wood right here. Don't you think on the floor right here? Oh, yeah, paint the house. Oh, let's call the exterminator guy because I've been seeing a lot of spiders. And, you know, you just talk about things in life. But what about the spiritual things? They're blind. They're blind to it. 
And that's why he says right here, what, what communion or fellowship has light with darkness? There's no light. And then he says, what, what accord? What accord has Christ with the devil? And the Greek word translated accord, it gives us our English word symphony. And it speaks of beautiful music that comes when the players are all reading the same score and obeying the same leader. I mean, right here, I love our worship team. We need even more musicians, and God puts them together, and God balances everything out, and then we got a sound guy, and we got different things, and together it makes beautiful music that I close my eyes to, and I lift my hands up to God, and I worship Him. In one sense, a, a, a good relationship, a good marriage is like making beautiful music of praise to God. And there's none of that when you're unequally yoked. You know, when you look at this right here, we need to be reminded there's no harmony between heaven and hell. I mean, he says right here, there's no, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And this is an interesting Greek word. It finds its origin and it speaks of one's lot in life or destiny after life. You know, we really need to think about these things. He might be tall, dark, and handsome, rich, and thoroughly interested in you, and you haven't really experienced that in a long time, and you might be drawn by those things, attracted, tired of waiting. But when you go into sin with eyes wide open and start playing with fire, you're going to get burned. Your, your purpose for life, your lot in life, the thing that God made you to do, He will ruin and not just here, but then afterwards, forever. I'm just trying to speak to some single people here today that for whatever reason, they think that they are the exception. And I know it's hard to wait on the Lord. I understand that. But it is worth it. In God's perfect timing, he will bring you a spouse. That's a Christian that loves the Lord. In God's perfect timing. You know, one thing about the Lord is he's, uh, he's never late. He's not like some of you. I saw like a lot of you come late today. <laughs> That's okay. We're glad you're here. But God's never late. But you want to know what else? He's never early. Never early. You're like, come on, Lord. No, he's always right on time. You want to know why? Because you have to be ready. And they have to be ready. Because when you get together, it's going to be beautiful. And there's no perfect person. You can't look for the perfect person. Um, you got, God will use you to help each other. Get more perfect. But you got to wait on the Lord. I mean, if not, you're, you're probably going to fight a lot. And I don't know if you want to do that. Look what he says right there. He says, what agreement has a temple of God with idols? If you marry a non-believer and you have it in your heart to serve the Lord, to raise your children in Christ, you want purity and sanctity in the home, you, you know, you're going to experience a, a lot of disagreements. 
on things. Because you're the temple of the one true God and they don't worship him. They have idols. You know, one of the interesting things I heard in the pastor's conference that really just kind of like, it was like a light went on, is whenever you have marital conflict, you know, so you go, some of you guys, you need to see a counselor, right? So you go to a counselor, and uh, and the counselor, a lot of times, though, he gets all psychological and sociological, and he's just all fancy schmancy and stuff. Oh, and and in the, I like what one pastor said. He said, when you have that type of conflict, all you have to do is identify the idol. I mean, because if he's worshiping God, and she's worshiping God, there would be no problems. But somewhere in there, somebody's worshiping someone that they shouldn't. A lot of times it's themselves. And that's the thing. You guys, you're the temple of God. That's who you are. Uh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And so, you know, this command is so huge because if you're unequally yoked, there's no partnership, no fellowship, there's chaos rather than harmony. Your very destinies in life and afterlife are diametrically different. You won't agree. You won't see eye to eye. So why would anyone ever yoke themselves to a non-believer? You know, when Christian singles don't learn to overcome loneliness and sexual sin by finding contentment in Christ, then that's where, where they'll end up, right? I mean, this is exactly what God commands us not to do. I really encourage you guys to wait on the Lord with, you know, eager expect. Don't wait on the Lord like this. Okay, Lord. No, don't wait on the Lord like foot tapping. You know, wait on the Lord with eager expectation, great anticipation. I know one day God's perfect timing is going to be amazing, right? Because when someone's unequally yoked, it even has the potential to turn your heart away from the Lord. And you're like, no, it would never happen to me. Well, that's probably what Solomon thought. But the Bible says that even his heart was turned away. Nehemiah 13, 25 through 26. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that Paul, you know, urging them to open up, warning them about hooking up. And then it's cool, he commands them to, to come out and to, to grow up and to be the men and women that they're called to be. Look again there at chapter 6 and verse 16. He says, For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. When you look at this right here, Paul then, you know, he references scripture. He pulls from Ezekiel 37, 27, Isaiah 52, 11, 2 Samuel 7, 14. And kind of like, you know, for, for me, I could share this with you. And looking at the passages, I'll just say this to you. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? I mean, do you know what you are? Because these are things that are very important. It will help you make decisions. Do you know who lives inside of you? And so Paul says, let me remind you, you're God's son. You're God's daughter. That's who you are. 
You're the temple of the one true and living God. You are. You are the temple of the living God. You are. And he lives inside of you. And he walks among you. He walks with you every day. He has given himself to you. I will be their God. And he has called you to be his. That's who you are. You know, one of the, I'll be honest with you, one of the, the things that I love most to do in life right now is to just go for walks with my wife. You know, and I'm sure you guys have your different things that you like to do together, but this weather that we have here in Southern California is beautiful. But I love to go on walks with her. You know, get away from whatever, the computer. Get away from the dog. Get away from the kids. Just you and me, babe. And go for a walk. And we talk. She does most of the talking. I do most of the listening. And I'll tell her, okay, baby, better go a little faster because otherwise it won't count as exercise. And but man, there's something about just walking with someone. That's what God does with us. Do you know that? You gotta know that. That's what Paul is saying right here. And so, he says in verse 17, come out. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I, I will receive you. See, and what I want to say and what Paul, I think, has been building up to in many ways, and this is a huge, huge issue, especially in the United States of America. The world, the tug of the world, the influences of the world is so strong and they get their claws in Christians. And what Paul is saying is be the church. Come out of the world. There's a lot of you here, especially second service, no offense, but um, you got one foot in the world and you got one foot in the church. You're two-timing God. You've given him half your heart. You're straddling the fence. You're not all in. And, and what Paul is kind of building up to this whole thing, not just being unequally yoked, oh yeah, that's for them, I'm married now, so I don't have to deal with this. No, he's just saying, you know, when he's talking about not being unequally yoked, he really moves toward this principle of saying, get out of the world, man. And that's why when you read in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. The world will train you to how to think. That's why when you read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says, I mean, John says, do not love the world. 
Because it smells so good and it looks so good and it feels so good. But he says, don't love the world or the things of the world. All that stuff, it's not from the Father. And that's why James, in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, do not be spotted by the world. And you can visualize a scar, a handicap that will hold you back. That's why James says in chapter 4, verse 4, don't be friends with the world. Now again, I'm not talking about people. I want you guys, God wants you guys to go and to be with people because he loves them. How are they going to get saved if they're not around Christians who really love them? But he's talking about the system that's under the sway of the wicked one. He's talking about how people fall in love with that and all that garbage that gets thrust down your throat. You know, because if we're conformed to this world and if we're, you know, spotted by the world and if we're friends with the world and if we love the world, I'm here to tell you right now, then you will be judged with this world. That's what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 9, verse 8. And God's calling us out. It reminds me of when the angels called Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember the story? Because they were about to judge it. And they said in Genesis 19, verse 17, escape. Escape for your life. Do not look back behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. And they were out. But what happened to Lot's wife? She looked back. She became a pillar of salt as a lesson for anybody who wants to go back to their vomit. It reminds me how the Lord saved Israel and brought them out of Egypt. But the children of Israel often relish the thought of returning to Egypt. Why? Because they liked the garlic and the leeks and the watermelon. You know, I'm sorry, but a lot of us here, I mean, we might even be open to say that my God is my belly. Just the cravings, the lustings of the flesh. And, you know, when you look at the children of Israel, God brought them out. God saved them with an outstretched arm. But they were there wandering in the wilderness. They didn't go back physically. But the book of Acts chapter 7, it says in verse 29 that they went back in their hearts. Oh, so you're still coming to church. You still got the bumper sticker. You still, you know, go through the routines. You even wear the t-shirts. But your heart is in the world. And you know it. And you know, and we know sometimes I lack power. I lack the personal power of the Holy Spirit. Because we just get, and one of the, the, the things that the devil does, what the world does, is it makes you so busy. So busy. That's not God's schedule for you. As a matter of fact, that might be a good place to just stop and sit before the Lord and say, Lord, here's my schedule, here's my week. If there's anything that you want to take away that doesn't belong because I'm not doing the things that you want me to do, then Lord, have your way. You know, it's interesting. The major part of this quotation is from Isaiah 52, verse 11. And the reference contextually there in Isaiah, is that the nation Israel had been taken to Babylon captive, and now God was calling them to return to their own land. And maybe in the spiritual sense, there might be someone here, you got saved, God did a good work, but maybe you strayed away, so 
You kind of got sent to the bondage of Babylon and God is calling you back to where you belong. What God is saying right here in verse 17, to be separate, it's not just a negative act of departure, it's also a positive act of dedication to God. And so we read in chapter 7, the the application, kind of like the conclusion in verse 1, don't worry, we're only going to do one verse, okay? He says, Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you see the promises, you guys? I pray that you, you do, because you need to see them. How, how God is your father, how you're his child, how he walks among you, how you're his temple, how he lives in you, how he belongs to you, you belong to him. So beautiful, the promises of God. And since we have this, and man, what potential that is, then we have next a personal responsibility. He says right there, let us cleanse ourselves. And so it's something that you have to do. You remember when you were little, when you were first born, your mom and dad cleansed you, huh? They washed you. You remember that? Yeah, and then you got a little older, and then you started, you know, taking your own baths and doing your own showers. And in one sense, we have that responsibility. God says, here's my word, here's my command, and I want you to go, and I want you to, I want you to wash behind the ears, mijo, because it's dirty right there. I want you to scrub your elbows. Don't look at mine. I want you to, you know, get those ankles clean, even between the toes. And you were trying to save it for later, but, you know, this is God saying, I want, I, want, I want it all clean. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says the same thing. Uh, if you cleanse yourself from the latter, then you become usable vessels. You see? And what God wants to do is He wants to cleanse us. It's interesting. He wants us to be responsible and aggressively cooperate. We're not robots. We have to make that choice. And so he says, let us cleanse ourselves, notice, from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Now, it's interesting. You know, the, the, the filthiness of the flesh, uh, most theologians will tell us, are those sins that are easily identifiable. You know, the sex, you should stay pure. The drugs, the drinking, the profanity. I mean, those things that we know or they're obvious, Right? But the, the sins of the Spirit, what's that? Well, David Guzik said this. He says, Sometimes it's easier to deal with the filthiness of the flesh than the filthiness of the Spirit. During Jesus' earthly ministry, those who were stained by the filthiness of the flesh, such as harlots and tax collectors, they found it easy to come to Jesus. But those stained by the filthiness of the Spirit, such as the scribes and Pharisees, found it very hard to come to Jesus. It's pride and legalism and self-righteousness bitterness, hatred, that can be far worse to deal with than the more obvious sins of the flesh. I mean, it could be bad deeds, yeah, but it could also be bad doctrine. And what what the Lord is calling us today to do is to come out of the world and to cleanse ourselves from all these things. You know, and so I want to encourage you guys, myself included, I, I just thank God for His Word and these opportunities that, that 
You know, like I, I prayed earlier, his word is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by his word. His word is truth. God will use a study like this to transform our lives. This is an opportunity we have to let it go. And not just, you know, okay, I'm going to stop doing those things. I'm going to start walking with God like I I never have in my whole life. Because when we do that, we perfect holiness in the fear of God. Uh, I went to that retreat yesterday and I was telling the guys, you better ship up or shape out because if not, God's going to kill you, you know. I pray we would have a fear of God. Because when we have that healthy fear of God, then it's so cool, he says right there, we actually perfect something that I think we all want so much, and that is holiness. And so here we have this urging to open up, and then the warning about hooking up, but then we close with this command to come out, to cleanse ourselves, and to grow up and be the church because that's who we are. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.